A reading from the book of Mark, chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. And as he was sitting out on his journey, setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all, the, all these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first, the gospel of the Lord. A reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. The Gospel of the Lord. Almighty Father, uh, we come now to your word and we ask uh, that uh, you would continue your intervention work. Uh, Father, we want you to make yourself clear. Um, we want you to uh, uh, bring us to a place where we are able to see your value, where we're able to see uh, your value so clearly and so compellingly that it, it, your value, so to speak, draws us out, almost pulls out our souls out of our self-absorption. Grant us to see your beauty and your value, the treasure that you are, so compellingly that we would find ourselves turning away from our self-absorption and find our true uh, identity, our true flourishing in a, in a deep and ever-deepening relationship with you. Now, it's a big prayer, but, but you're a, a big God, and you do miraculous things. So, so we ask you for that miracle. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Please have a seat. And um, 
please keep your eye uh, on the little tiny reading there at the top of page 11. Uh, but then also, we're going to dip into a little bit of that long reading as well. Uh, we're continuing a series in the parables of Jesus, or at least several of Jesus' parables. And a parable, do you remember what a parable is? Uh, a parable is a little apparently simple story that Jesus told that is designed to unveil something. It is designed, these stories are designed to unveil uh, something about God, something about ourselves that we wouldn't have been able to figure out without the little story. And, and most of Jesus's parables, including this little one at the top of page 11, uh, most of them are about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. What's the kingdom of God? What's the kingdom of heaven? That's a big conversation. It pretty much takes the whole Bible to explain it, but here's a really short version. What's the kingdom of heaven? The kingdom of heaven is one of the key ways that Jesus described how God is intervening in our world God is breaking into our world to make this broken world right. And, and one of the key ways that God is intervening to make this broken world right is by uh, drawing people into his just and loving leadership. He's a king. We're coming into his kingdom under his leadership. Uh, and that's one of the key ways that God is making the broken world right. And that's, uh, we, uh, these two little stories are meant to describe what it's like as God breaks into our lives and brings us under that loving leadership. Uh, they describe the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Take a look. The kingdom of heaven, says Jesus, is like a treasure hidden in a field. I, I love this. Can you imagine everybody around Jesus kind of leaning forward? Who, who doesn't like a swashbuckling hidden treasure story? It's like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and then covered up. And then in his joy, note the word joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. Now this one, th this character is, is, is on the hunt. The first one was surprised, but this one's on the hunt. Who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and he bought that field. Now, or bought, bought the pearl. Now, uh, I want to point out two key themes uh, in these stories. Here's the first one. These stories talk about a spectacular cost. Both these, uh, these guys, in both these stories, they liquidate all that they have in order to get this treasure or this pearl. Now, that's costly. All that they have. Their entire, all their assets, gone, in order to get this one thing. Is that costly? I think that's pretty costly. That's one theme. Here's another theme. There is also, in both of these stories, spectacular joy. Both of these people think that despite the formidable cost, they think that this thing that they're getting, the pearl or the treasure, they think it's worth it. They think it's more than worth it. They're not, oh, bummer. They're, oh, happy day. Now, here's the deal, Emmanuel. Uh, spectacular cost, spectacular joy. I think you'll agree. I don't know if you'll agree. You don't have to agree. But I think those are two things that don't usually go together. Spectacular cost, spectacular joy. And yet, what I want to show you today is that they do. At least they do in the kingdom of God. 
spectacular cost and spectacular joy, they go together and they always go together in God's kingdom in real Christianity. And so what I want to do today is spend a few, a few minutes trying to figure out how it is that they go together. And the first thing that we're going to do is we're going to focus on the cost. Why is it that following Jesus involves spectacular cost? Why? That's the first thing. And the second thing is, why is it worth it? And why is it more than worth it? All right. First of all, the cost. And why, uh, why, why all the cost in following Jesus? Now, for the, in order to dig down into the cost and understand it, I want you to flip over to the long reading. Okay, the first reading on page uh, 10. And the reason I want you to flip over there is that uh, this is a story about a young man who decides that the cost is simply not worth it. And it's helpful because as we look at this story, we're going to get a better sense of what it is that we are, that we, what it is we get to or need to surrender in order to gain the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price. Let me set up the story. So this is about a young, successful professional. Um, th this is the guy that a bunch of our parents uh, want us to be, okay? Um, he, th this guy is driven. Uh, he has accumulated a lot in a short uh, span of life. Uh, and, and he clearly wants to get life right, right? He wants to make good decisions that will uh, end in uh, good outcomes for his life. He's kind of type A or something like that. And he runs up to Jesus in verse 17, and he says, Jesus, or teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And at that point, he's a little bit like the pearl merchant in the uh, second reading, right? He's somebody who knows that he's looking for something and that he needs to find something. He's being intentional about it, and he's trying to find this one thing, he calls it eternal life, that's going to animate his life with meaning and that's going to bear fruit over the long haul for all eternity. So he's asking a good question, yes? And he's on a good quest. And Jesus responds, and he says, well, okay, um, uh, how are you doing on the Ten Commandments? And the, uh, the young guy does a little bit of a self-audit, and it comes out great. And then comes verse 21. Look at verse 21. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Okay, now stop there. Everybody say, loved him. Okay, this is really important. Jesus looks at this young man, and his heart melts in love and affection for this guy. Now, why is that important? Well, one of the big obstacles that people have to Christianity, uh, both within the church and those who are outside the church trying to think about whether or not they should join, is people say this, something like, and see if you can find an echo of this in your own heart. People say, hey, Christianity, Christianity makes a lot of demands. I mean... There's moral demands, there's lifestyle demands, there's even demands about what we think, there's demands about what we desire, there's demands, it feels like everything is regulated, and I'm afraid, so the thought goes, I, and you, you, can, you can recognize all this, we can recognize this, right? And I'm afraid that these uh, demands and these regulations are going to restrict me, I'm afraid they're going to crush me, I'm afraid they're going to crush me out of my real me. And the expectation and the fear is that the costly demands of Christianity are really just a way of enslaving us. Now, can you identify with that a little bit? Can you recognize that? 
Now keep that in mind, you can go back to Jesus talking to this young man. Because Jesus is about ready to make a spectacularly costly demand. But I want you to see that this costly demand that Jesus is about ready to make is motivated by absolutely enormous love. Now, how, how, can, that, how can this demand be loving? Well, just wait. First of all, look, look at it. Verse 21. And Jesus loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell what you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. Okay. Now in your brain, go to the second reading and think about the pearl merchant. The pearl merchant has been looking for something, searching, maybe all his career. He's been, and this young man talking to Jesus is a little bit like that pearl merchant. He's been looking for something he calls eternal life. And so Jesus sees this and he looks at this young man and, and his heart fills with love for, the, for him. And Jesus in a, in basically says, you found it, man. You found it. I am the pearl you've been looking for. And that thing you call eternal life, he says, it's as if Jesus looks at the man and says, uh, that thing you desire, eternal life, is the result of knowing me and following me. It, it, it's as if Jesus says, this is the moment. This is the moment. Sell everything and invest fully in me, says Jesus to this man. And it's at that point that this man parts company with the pearl merchant in the second reading. Because verse 22 in the long reading, he says this, Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. It was too much. The cost was too much. He bows out. He jettisons the plan. And I want to know why. Why? He'd been searching for eternal life. Why does he back out right then? Now, to explain that, I need to fill in a little bit of a backstory. Okay, and I'm going to summarize a lot of the Bible in a relatively few amount of words, so buckle up. The Bible says, if you pan out and you, and you kind of take in the whole story, the Bible says that, um, that, uh, that we don't make ourselves, but that God makes us. And because we don't make ourselves, you did not design yourself, I do not design your, ourselves, we were designed by God. And because we did not design ourselves or make ourselves, we uh, don't understand how it is that we're designed and what it is we are designed to do. The Bible says God designed us, and he knows how we work best. And, and apparently, God made us and designed us very specifically for a purpose. We are designed to live in dependence upon him. We are designed to live in a relationship of dependence and trust and love with God. That's where we are meant for flourishing. But the trouble is, and you can see this all the way through the Bible, uh, we humans, all of us, have an un almost unshakable suspicion that God cannot be trusted. And we have uh, this deep intuition that I am free when I am my own captain. I mean, you can, you can recognize that, right? And therefore, we declare our autonomy from God. And we spend our lives chasing autonomy. I'm going to be fully free when I am, and I'm going to be fully me when I get to define myself and when I am the captain. Well, that makes a lot of sense. It's very compelling. The trouble is, however much we try, we, we're unable to, to redesign ourselves. 
We were designed to live as dependent beings upon somebody else, namely God. And therefore, when we reject God, we, our souls have to depend upon something. And our hearts reject God, but immediately, because we are designed to depend on something, our souls attach themselves, latch themselves onto involuntarily something else, something else that we can depend on other than God. And, and you know, sometimes it's going to be we latch onto approval. Uh, uh, I'll be okay as long as people say I'm okay. Uh, or, or we latch onto success. I'll be okay when I achieve, and that's what my soul is de uh, depending on. Or we latch ourselves onto relationships. I'll be okay when I'm in a relationship that's fulfilling. Or, or we latch ourselves onto any number of things, control and power and money and whatever else. Our souls latch onto these things and we depend upon them and they become the most important thing in our lives, even if we don't know it. I, if I have this thing, I'm okay. If I don't have this thing, I'm finished. trouble is it's a terrible way to live because we were designed to live on the one person who lasts forever and can be intrinsically trusted God but now our souls latch onto these other things none of them last forever some of them are absolutely they, they're gone in a moment and because we depend upon things that don't last our whole life churns with insecurity and churns with this inexperience of vulnerability and we're lonely and we're afraid and some of you are tasting that right now and all of us have tasted it in many ways and we're always trying to find something else to latch on to here, here here's here's the part of the message of the bible uh, autonomy from god promised us freedom but the problem is it landed us in a self-imposed prison okay that's a backstory but now go back to this longer reading about this guy who declines from Jesus. His soul has latched onto money. Or, or maybe it's power, or maybe it's control, or maybe it's in, influence. But in any respect, his possessions and his assets, they're always whispering in his ear, you're okay because I'm here. You're okay. His soul rested on his possessions and his assets. And that's precisely why Jesus, in his love, said, you're going to have to let him go. Jesus isn't being cruel here. He's being loving. He's like a doctor who says, we're going to have to remove that tumor, otherwise it's going to kill you. Jesus looks at this man, and he knows that this guy's soul is clinging to stuff. And as long as he clings to his stuff, he will uh, reject dependence upon God. And as long as he clasps onto autonomy from God, he will never gain the eternal life he claims to seek. And so Jesus looks at him and he says, hey, my friend, I love you. It's as if he says, I love you. You're going to need to lay down your possessions. Not because they're evil, but because you're clinging to them in a way that's going to kill you. Lay them down, says Jesus to this man. Lay them down. They're not going to last forever anyway. They'll turn on you in the end. Lay them down. Lay them down and follow me. And as you follow me, says Jesus to this young man, as you follow me, you will find your soul finally depending upon the one for whom you were made. And you will find the eternal life you claim to seek. Uh, there's a guy called Jim Elliott. Some of you have heard of him. He said this famously. 
He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. And that's Jesus' point here. He says you can't keep your money forever anyway. And your autonomy is a prison for your soul you, to give it up. And gain someone who will never let you go. Now, this young, successful guy um, concluded that the cost was too high. And he walks away in despair. Notice he walks away in despair. Now, the two guys in Jesus' short stories, second reading, they do the opposite. They see the value of the treasure. They see the value of the pearl. And that, that value pulls them out of themselves. And they say, I'll jettison everything in order to get this one thing. So, let's bring it back to us. What does it cost to follow Jesus? Well, a, a lot. It costs our autonomy. And it costs everything that we depend on other than Jesus. And that cost will feel spectacularly big. Because when we lay down the things that we have depended upon, um, those are the things that told us we're okay. And so laying those down is going to feel like we're laying down our very souls. It's going to feel like we're laying down our lives. And that's why following Jesus costs a lot. But now the question is, is it worth it? Is it worth it? <clears throat> and according to the two folks in Jesus' short little reading, second reading, they say it is worth it and it's more than worth it. And this is important because if it is worth it, then it means that the cost of following Jesus is not a diminishing thing. It's not an enslaving thing. It's what it feels like to become free. And that's why there's so much joy in that little reading. There's a lot of cost, but there's a lot more joy. How should we think about this? Well, I want you to think about Jesus himself. Jesus is our example in this respect. Because Jesus himself, later on in the story, he has to make the costly decision as well. You know, one of the great things about being a Christian is that we follow someone who has done all the costly stuff before us. And we have records of Jesus' prayers right before he gets arrested, right before his execution. And we get uh, some of Jesus' disciples overheard Jesus' prayers, and we know that Jesus, on the night before he was uh, betrayed and arrested, he knew he was going to be executed, and Jesus didn't want to die. And so he prayed, and he prayed this. He said, Father, take this cup from me, which is to say, I don't want to die. Is there another way? You need to see that Jesus himself experienced, he was right up against spectacular cost. And in that moment, he had a choice. He could have taken the path of the young, successful person who liked his possessions. Jesus could have decided that the cost was simply too high. He could have said, following my father's will is going to crush me. Uh, it'll crush me out of my real self. It will diminish me. I need to declare at this moment my autonomy. Jesus could have taken that path. But that's not the path that he took. Instead, Jesus could see that there was something more valuable than individual autonomy. Jesus could see that real freedom is when we live in trust and love with God as our Father. And therefore, Jesus said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done, Father. And he went to the cross. And in that moment, Jesus is just like the pearl merchant. 
His eyes were set, not so much on the cost, but upon the value beyond the cost. And he knew that he had spent his whole life to come and for this moment. And so in that moment, he surrendered himself to his father, loving his father above everything. And he trusted that God's path for him was better than any path he could chart on his own. And it cost him. Don't ever diminish the cost that Christ suffered. It cost him everything as he hung upon the cross. But here's the thing. When Jesus rose from the dead, read everything about Jesus' resurrection and you will not find one hint of regret. He gained way more than it cost him. Because three days later, he rose from the dead with a life that was indestructible. For Jesus, God, his Father, was his pearl of great price, and he surrendered all for his Father, and he got the reward of eternal joy. Friends, spectacular cost and spectacular joy are united in the Christian life because first and foremost, they're united in Jesus. And yet, it was worth it for Jesus. But the story gets even better, and here's why. Because when we look at our hearts, remember that our hearts are suspicious of God. Our hearts uh, want to push away from God. Our hearts are always wanting to run towards our own autonomy. And therefore, even if we look at Jesus and we say, wow, Jesus made a good choice, and, and Jesus is my example, and I want to follow the example of Jesus Christ in giving up everything for God, we're never going to be, do it, we're never going to be able to do it perfectly. But that's when another piece comes in. Because you know what? God the Father... God the Father, in a way, had a pearl of great price too. John 3.16 says this, God so loved the world, that's us, that's us, the world in searching out autonomy and running away from him, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and that's the cost, that's the Father's cost. The Father's great pearl, in a sense, was us, his enemies, and his cost is the death of his own son. And God the Father sent his son so that we might live forever and gain eternal life. And what that means, partially, is this. That when you entrust yourself to Jesus Christ, not just follow his example, but say, Jesus, I need you to rescue me. What happens is God the Father looks at you and counts Jesus' full surrender. He counts it to your account. So that God the Father gives you the reward that Jesus earned. Eternal joy. Eternal life. And part of why that's so important is this. We will never surrender our autonomy until we see the cost of Christ's sacrifice. But when you see the cost of Christ's sacrifice, then that's when you'll see the value of his love for you. The value of his trustworthiness for you. You will see the value of living your life for someone who gave everything that he is for you. Remember the man who was found the treasure in the field? He wasn't looking for it. It was a big surprise. And that's what Jesus is for us. Jesus is the unexpected but perfect fulfillment of our deepest desires. And that's why when you come into a relationship with him, you will, you will find out that Jesus is worth it and he is more than worth it. Now, let me wrap up by just getting practical for a second, okay? Spectacular cost, spectacular joy, they go together when you follow Jesus, and you need to expect that. 
And you also need to know that surrendering to Jesus is not a one-time thing. It's not enough to say, hey, I surrendered to Jesus a long time ago when I became a Christian. No, 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 that's not the way it goes. The kingdom of God is a continuous surrender, and it is a continuous seeking after the pearl of great price and finding Jesus supremely valuable. And there's going to be times, and you need to expect this, there's going to be times when the cost of following Jesus is going to feel acute. There's going to be times where you wonder if Jesus is worth it. There's going, to be, there's going to be times when you're going to feel the bite of the costliness of Christ. And here's when you're going to find, you're going to feel the bite. You're going to feel the bite when following Jesus collides with our favorite surrogate for God. So remember, our hearts like to depend on things other than God, approval and control and success and power and whatever else. And when those things collide with following Jesus, that's when the cost of Christ is going to hurt. And that's when we're most vulnerable to temptation and opting out. So if I uh, like to depend upon approval, at some point I'm going to feel the shame of other people's disapproval for following Christ. And that's going to be a moment when I'm going to be tempted to step back from Jesus. Expect that. Or if I tend to depend upon success, there's going to, be, there's going to come a point at which I don't feel like I'm achieving enough and I'm going to be tempted to conclude that either Jesus has failed me or that I need to take my life more fully into my own hands in order to get the success I want. Get ready for that. Or if I depend upon pleasure or relationships or sex or whatever to make me feel okay, there's going to be times where I'm going to be tempted to think that Jesus is depriving me of the thing I really need in order to thrive. Do you see how it works? You're going to feel the bite in those moments. And in those moments, Emmanuel, I want you to remember those, these two little stories from Matthew. Because these are the moments when we need to go back and rediscover how Jesus is the pearl of great price and the hidden treasure. We need to return to the Lord. We need to gather with other believers like this. We need to fill our minds with Scripture, and we need to say, Jesus, show me your value again. Remind me that your approval lasts forever and that the approval of this world is fleeting. Remind me that true success is living for things that never end and that you have given me that true success as a gift. Remind me, Jesus, that your love and your affection is the true relationship that's going to satisfy me forever. And remind me that you have promised, and you can see this in the longer reading, you have promised to give me a new family in the kingdom of God. Remind me of all of this, Jesus, so that I can see again that you are the pearl that I need. And give me the courage, Jesus, to give up and surrender my autonomy and depend upon you again and ever more deeply. And Emmanuel, as we do that, we, you will not regret doing that. And as we walk with Jesus, there will be tears and difficulty and it will feel costly sometimes. And you'll look to Jesus and you'll find someone who experienced a greater cost than you have ever done. And with your eyes set upon Him, He will lead you to eternal life and you will know spectacular joy and increasing joy for all eternity and you will share in Christ's eternal reward. So sell all, sell all for Christ, your hidden treasure. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. 
And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com give.